Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Programme. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Uh, Congressman Mark Pocan will be with us in just a moment for Midday with Mark. Uh, however, I've lost him from my from my uh, from my audio board, from my telephone lines. Oh, there he is. OK, he's back. Wonderful. Congressman Mark Pocan, the congressional, uh, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, uh, representing the 2nd District of Wisconsin, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Great to have you with us. So uh, <laughs> there's a lot going on. What's at the top of, of your list of things that we should all be paying attention to? Oh, man, I'll tell you, you know, the list kind of um, is a little bit Groundhog's Day-like, right? It keeps mm-hmm. coming back. Uh, healthcare, you know, while uh, we have another temporary repri- reprieve, the zombie uh, bill has seemed to lay back down for a while. Uh, we're still watching and hearing there are some other ways they can bring back reconciliation so they can still take this up with 50 votes. So uh, next week, while we have a it looks like a budget bill in front of us on the House floor, this is one of the possibilities. There's others. So we got to keep vigilant. You know, every time we think we've put it down once and for all, uh, it bounces back up. Um, so so that's something we're watching really closely. And then today, the House Republicans are meeting off-site to talk about um, uh, tax reform. And supposedly in a half a day, they're going to figure that out. And given that it's been uh, nine months trying to figure out health care and seven years before that, and they still haven't figured it out, I don't know if a half a day will quite get them to tax reform. But, uh, you know, they're talking about lots of things. We've seen some of the stories out there. But in order to get the kind of money they want to, to lower taxes for millionaires and billionaires and wealthy corporations, uh, they're going to have to uh, go after a bunch of the deductions, I think, that real people use, and they're going to be given a bait and switch. You know, they might get one part that looks like they're going to save money on their taxes for the middle class, but in reality, by the time they pay all the other things up, uh, they probably will be losing ground. And ultimately, if you don't have revenue, you're going to cut things like Social Security and Medicare and things that real people need. So that's uh, something that I think today especially will spike in conversation. Uh, there's just a, a whole lot going on from, you know, last week, uh, you know, that weekend, Donald Trump and his NFL fixation to uh, everything else, Tom. It's another interesting yeah. week in Washington. Is, is, is there any, 
I, I'm looking at Puerto Rico. This is this is a state that is um, the size of or larger than I think about 20 of our states. I mean, about three and a uh, half million people. Yeah, three and a half million people. That's substantial. And they're they're U.S. passport holders. They're American citizens. And uh, you know, Donald Trump's comment is it's an on an island out in a very big ocean. Um, Hillary Clinton uh, explicitly came out a couple of days ago and said, send the USS Comfort there, which is a hospital, Navy supplies, you know, Navy hospital ship, specifically for these kinds of disasters. Uh, two days later, the Trump administration said, okay, we'll start provisioning her. It's going to still take a week to get the, the ship down there. Um, but is there any conversation in Congress about doing something about this? Yeah, so I'll tell you, the Democrats have made a high priority of this. We spent most of our caucus this week talking about this. I mean, three and a half million people. There's a thousand people right now just at the airport, kind of living at the airport, and they've had a heat wave. They've been in the mid-90s, and, you know, without any electricity whatsoever, hospitals, you're having standing water. That's going to breed mosquitoes. I mean, there's, it's a crisis. These are American citizens, and Donald Trump uh, tweeted way more about the NFL than he has Puerto Rico, and now he's kind of acting like he, you know, recognizes this big ocean, this island, but let's also not forget the U.S. Virgin Islands, right? They also were hit extremely hard by the last uh, wave of, of hurricanes, and they're in a crisis. And again, you know, this is a president who uh, it just maybe happens to be that most of the people who live uh, in these areas don't have the same color of skin as Donald Trump. But boy, you know, when you add up all of the, the statements and, and actions of this president, it sure does look like uh, certain people get favor by this president and certain don't. And um, so we're trying to figure out how to raise and elevate the issue of we need to get to Puerto Rico now. And, uh, you know, people's literally uh, their lives are at risk with us not doing anything. Right. But also, even though they're citizens, just like here in Washington, D.C., they have they do not have the ability to write to vote for president. I mean, we can here in D.C., but but they can't. Uh, they can vote the primary in Congress. Right. And they and their and their delegates to Congress, like Eleanor Holmes Norton, can can be there but can't vote. And and so maybe just Trump doesn't care about them politically. There was an interesting piece over at The Intercept uh, today about how uh, this is the golden opportunity for Puerto Rico to uh, privatize their power system, that the vultures, that the, the corporate, uh, you know, uh, electric power companies are just, you know, swooping down. And there's even an argument uh, that the that the island has been procrastinating on improving their systems uh, so that they so that this privatization could happen. Apparently, they've corrupted some public officials. Do you know anything about this? Well, we saw the original tweet, right, on Puerto Rico from the president, and since right. that seems to be his official discourse. I have to refer to tweets. I never thought I'd be doing this in my life. But um, And he said he was talking about how much they owed the banks, and that was his focus, not on mm -hmm. the people and the conditions there. So we, you know, many of us are saying if, if this might be the perfect opportunity as we talk about needing infrastructure dollars across the country, this is a place that we could help to rebuild that. But I had heard a figure of uh, up to, I think, something like $85 billion might be the cost in needing to repair some of the damage that's been done there, which is a huge uh, amount. And clearly, um, we've got to do more, and they will try to. I mean, if we know the infrastructure package that Donald Trump finally put out there, different than what he campaigned on, was 80% selling off to private interests, I could totally see him trying to go that route as opposed to the route that we need to go. Yeah. Yeah, this is, a, this is a disaster. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. It's midday with Mark here on the Tom Hartman program, taking your calls. Would you like to pick up some phone calls here? Is there Absolutely. anything else you wanted to mention? Okay. All right, let's go for it. Uh, Coco in Brandon, Florida. You are on the air with Congressman Pocan. 
Coco? Uh, My apologies. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, a pleasure to talk to you both. Sure. Hello. Um, this is a concern and kind of a question um, that the Medicare for All or single payer messaging isn't getting out as far as uh, the majority of people. I don't think, especially the younger generations, don't understand what single payer is. And so I think somehow we need a different word or something so that people will know we're, to my understanding, is we're uh, bypassing the uh, bankster insurance companies. Well, well, Coco, actually, you know, my observation is slightly different. Um, I actually, from the polling I've seen, it's, it's the younger generation or some of the folks that are supportive of uh, the concept of single-payer or Medicare-for-all system. Um, and that's positive, right, because uh, we're finding that a young, the younger generation is more politically progressive but also don't align with political parties. We also know that of them. But, uh, you know, I, I look at where we're at, and I think the new number I heard this week at our Progressive Caucus meeting from Don, John Conyers was I think we're up to 120 co-sponsors in the House, which is well over 60% of the House of Representatives. Well, most of the attention has been that Bernie introduced a bill in the Senate, and, you know, because Bernie ran for president, he definitely gets a lot of press. We've had this bill for a long time in the House, and actually getting up to the point of over 60%, that's because people are calling their members. It's not because members are finally coming around to it. It's because people are leading out there. They're seeing this debacle of a, a debate uh, that the Republicans have had around health care, uh, leading us to why isn't this just a, a right like so many other countries that look just like us already have. So I actually think we're moving in a pretty good place on this. Uh, at some point, they will have a severe pushback. But, um, you know, I think this, this seven years of putting a bill together, nine months of not still being able to get it done by the Republicans is showing uh, there's clearly a better path. And I think where I'm finding the public is coming is to the single-payer concept. This is 60% of the Democratic caucus, not 60% of the House of Representatives, right? Uh, of the Democratic Caucus, correct. Right, so, so a discharge petition is not on, on the table yet. No, uh, no, but yeah. to get to that kind of a number um, is pretty significant, I mean, mm. given where we were just a few years ago with this bill. Yeah, okay. Uh, Margie, in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Congressman Pocan, after Irma and Harvey, uh, the Jones Act was waived to allow foreign vessels to provide port-to-port -port transportation for e relief services, even though those areas affected had convoys and convoys of trucks bringing in relief supplies. Yet, that the Jones Act has not been waived for either Puerto Rico or the U.S. Virgin Islands. Will you support waiving the Jones Act in order to provide relief supplies to the islands? So, Margie, this is something, again, many of us are actually having conversations about uh, because they have no incoming commercial flights, because what they need is bigger than you can put on a plane or two anyway. They need some big vessels bringing supplies down there. And uh, quite honestly, it's up to the president to what he's going to do on this. And I think you know, part of our problem has been he hasn't paid a lot of attention to Puerto Rico, uh, perhaps because of the color of the skin of the people uh, who predominantly live there. Uh, and part of it has been, you know, it's his uh, America first kind of um, rhetoric that he's somehow saying that he wants it to be American ships. Now, in general, I've been very supportive of uh, the Jones Act uh, because we want to keep uh, those good paying jobs. Many of them are good paying union jobs when we have things going across uh, oceans. In this particular case, I think we're trying to figure out how we can best resolve this without ever weakening the, what's 
the, the actual purpose of the Jones Act. So I think we're looking to see what the president's going to do. In the meantime, we're trying to strategize on every front and how uh, to make this work. But we realize the high priority around Puerto Rico and let's not forget the Virgin Islands. Yeah. Amen. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the 2nd District of the great state of Wisconsin. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan uh, or visit his website at Pocan, P-O-C-A-N.house.gov. We'll be back with more of your calls from Congressman Pocan. And welcome back. Uh, McWayne in Chino Valley, Arizona, watching Free Speech TV. McWayne, you're on the air with Mark Pocan, Congressman Pocan. Yes, uh, Congressman. Uh, just a short framework uh, to, to, to build on, on the question. Uh, I understand there's currently legislation being considered in Congress to criminalize the BDS movement. And this seems to be a two-part problem. One an undermining of the, the, the free speech embodied in the Constitution. And second, just another link in our chain of support for an apartheid nation. Uh, and as well, they seem to be involved in a, a form of ethnic cleansing, or what uh, Noam Chomsky calls the moin of the lawn of the, as regards to Palestinian people. So I'm just wondering, will you and the Progressive Caucus and hopefully the Democratic Congress take a stand against this injustice? Yeah, thanks for your uh, question, McQueen. Excuse me. I mean, there are literally, I think we could be up to 5,000 bills right now. This session already introduced, and there is a bill introduced to uh, outlaw the BDS, which I think would uh, be definitely a problem for free speech and and other reasons why it's not a good idea to have that in place. Um, I haven't seen movement yet. So that doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but let's face it, a lot of things aren't moving through Congress because they're completely stalled on health care. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's something that should it come to us, uh, many of us will be vocal about why we don't think it's a good idea. And don't forget, many of us um, have started to try to raise the profile of the Middle East. And, you know, what we're seeing is a slipping away of the, I think, what many of us have advocated for, which is a two-state solution going back to some uh, borders uh, from a while back, and when you have um, the issues that are happening right now, the, the expansion of illegal settlements, uh, some of the conditions that are being there, you know, we've tried to be outspoken on behalf of of, of people in Palestine, uh, in the in the West Bank, and in the issues that are facing. In fact, this afternoon I'm meeting with um, Issa, one of the uh, main human rights advocates that's been actually targeted both by the Israeli government. And unfortunately, by uh, the Palestinian Authority government as well, um, because he's doing his job well and trying to make sure the situation is uh, brought out to the world. So um, we're we're committed, and I just can't say right now, McWayne, that the bill is moving. Um, but uh, there is a bill introduced. But again, there's 5,000 introduced. So if it does start to happen, we'll make sure people are aware of it so they can call their representatives and their senators. Yeah. We just have 40 seconds to the break, Congressman. A quick question. I noticed that there was a movement yesterday. There were a bunch of uh, DACA folks uh, at the Capitol building calling for a discharge petition on the DREAM Act, which is languishing in the House of Representatives. Paul Ryan could call it up for a vote anytime he wants, but he's refusing to. Um, A discharge petition goes around Paul Ryan and basically puts it on the floor for a vote. Uh, Do you think that there's any possibility of that happening? 
Well, so it's a rarely used tool, right? I think it's been done about five times or so since the 1930s, if I have my numbers mm. right. But it, it doesn't happen very often. It happened once last session as John Boehner left for the Export-Import Bank. Um, so we were, last I looked, I was number 164 on the petition. Um, we're going to try that as a vehicle, but there could be a separate bill introduced also to get it done if we can get the Republicans to live up to the president's agreement. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, that's a big if. Yeah. Okay, Congressman Mark Pocan, we'll be right back with more more calls for you right after this. Welcome back, Congressman Mark Pocan here on the line, taking your calls midday with Mark here on the Tom Harbin program. And Michael in Hill City, Kansas, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, Congressman. I would just like to mention the fact that when Donald Trump says, our America, he means rich, millionaire, billionaire white America. The rest of us don't matter to him. That's why he doesn't have any care for those people in Puerto Rico at all. He should be over there right now himself because they are American citizens. And when he gets angry about those football players taking the knee, it's because they are representing what that flag stands for. Donald Trump is representing what that flag is does not stand for. One nation under God, indivisible. Trump is the biggest divider there is. Under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Trump doesn't want that at all. He's the one who's against the flag. Okay, Michael, let's let's hear what the congressman has to say. Yeah, Michael, uh, you know, I agree. I, <laughs> you know, I think we saw this progression through the campaign, through his early months in the presidency. You know, we still felt like, there were a couple of Americas, one that Donald Trump saw his base, and that's who he keeps appealing to, and then everyone else. And then we saw Charlottesville, and then we saw another number of other things happen. And just the most recent was this weekend. The fact that he denounces more aggressively a black man for nonviolence than white supremacists for violence, uh, that alone tells you, unfortunately, where his priorities are. And I think when you look at why Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands aren't getting the same attention, it's it's very much for the same reasons. Um, Donald Trump has made a, a career in politics now out of uh, worrying about his base and his base alone, and that's not what you're supposed to do as president. You're supposed to unite the nation. Instead, you know, there's an article in the New York Times he's attacked 650 different people, places, and things since he's become uh, president, and that's the problem. Uh, Donald Trump is the problem, not our country. Uh, and I, I think what you said was very succinct and correct. John, in Springfield, Ohio, we have about a minute and a half before we hit the break here, John. So quick question for the congressman. Okay, I got I got one here. Um, I heard uh, this morning Rand Paul in a video was saying that Trump is going to uh, make it so insurance can be bought, health insurance can be bought between states. Now, my question is, can he do that? Being there's so much for states' rights Republicans, sounds like they're something they shouldn't be doing. And second, why don't they take the antitrust exemption away from the insurance companies? That, I mean, that's that's all I got to add. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. So, so uh, John, I know there's not a lot of time, but um, I, I think the Republicans in general have talked about allowing people to buy across state lines. It's one of their supposed, supposed silver bullets on how to fix health care. Um, again, that's not a fix. It's just a, a shift of how we do it. It still doesn't address the major issues behind that. And uh, I think they're going to keep going at this. That's why if they come back and try to figure out a new way to do reconciliation to get 50 votes, 
You're going to have lots of new proposals put out there that we're going to have to continue fighting. And we just have to stand for, let's right now stabilize the Affordable Care Act and let's be aspirational and move us towards a single-payer system. Yeah. Well, these companies are already selling across state lines. I mean, you know, you can buy Blue Cross Blue Shield anywhere in the country. It's just regulated by your local state in terms of what they can do to you. Yeah, I think one of the other problems is when they do this, especially if they wind up coming back with this block grant idea or anything else that allows people to get rid of, like, pre-existing conditions, people like Scott Walker in Wisconsin can do that, and that affects someone in New Hampshire or Colorado who then buys a policy from a Wisconsin company. Right. This is exactly what they did with credit cards when they, they allowed, you know, they, they basically ended the ability of state banking regulators to control credit cards. And all the credit cards now come from one of the Dakotas that has the lowest standards, regulatory standards. Congressman Mark Pocan with us. We'll be back with Midday with Mark. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent at my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to have to keep taking breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in the day than ever before. If you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners. The makers of X chair want you to feel the X chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com right now, that's the letter X, chair, Tom, T-H-O-M.com, not only will they knock $100 off the price, they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code Tom. So just go to xchairtom.com, xchairtom.com. Uh, now, I love my X chair and you will too. So check out xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com. Welcome back, Congressman Mark Pocan with us. It's our Midday with Mark program here on the Tom Hartman program, taking your calls. And uh, Congressman Dion in Round Lake, Illinois is on the line. Dion, you're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Yes, we've seen uh, Trump attack uh, black leaders in sports who are leaders in their communities fighting poverty and carrying the dream of Martin Luther King. And there's extreme poverty in Puerto Rico now to the point where uh, I heard from family members that they're now committing suicide because that's how bad it's gotten. And I was wondering uh, if the progressive uh, party and the Democrats can adapt uh, Martin Luther King's uh, uh, dream time poverty in their platform, and has uh, Trump uh, identified poverty at all, and only to help the corporations? Uh, Dion, so uh, it's interesting you said that. Barbara Lee was giving us an update uh, at the Progressive Caucus this week. She heads a task force on poverty for the overall Democratic Caucus, and they are planning on doing um, some listening sessions around the country. They've been working on this for a while, but we're trying to put poverty back on the agenda, not just because of the hurricanes, but because we have poverty in this country and it's not being talked about while people talk about uh, taking away health care and tax breaks for the wealthiest. So uh, we're exactly in that process. Barbara Lee, who I have the utmost confidence in, is leading it for the entire Democratic caucus. And uh, there'll be some real, I think, movement coming up uh, very soon on that. Connie in Reno, Nevada, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, I want to thank both of you for all your hard work that you and information you give us. And I just want to say I'm really frustrated that I don't see, is it Tom or Ron Perez, uh, the head of the DNC? I can't even remember his first Tom name. Tom Perez. So, 
Oh, okay. I don't see him out there anywhere. I don't see his name. I don't see him trying to get everybody together behind him. And uh, when I did see anything, he wasn't really like bringing Democrats together with a solid message. And the one we have of a better deal is, I think, kind of weak. And I would much rather see something like New Deal 2.0, bring the generations together and uh, really get behind that. Um, but I'm getting, I see Mr. Ellison out there at some point, but not Perez, and I'm really getting frustrated. Before I take my, your response off the air, I just want to let you know that um, after listening to your show, Tom, Jason Cantor will be here in Nevada in Fallon this Saturday, and I'm really excited we're going to go see him and hoping to get involved with his group and possibly retire next year and run for office. Great. So, uh, I want to thank you guys for everything, and I'll take your response off the air. Thank you. Thank you, Connie. Great. Uh, Connie, uh, Ron, um, we need more uh, good progressives who want to represent their communities at every level. Um, that's awesome that you're thinking about it. But let me just say this. I, I think, you know, it's often easy to attack a political party as opposed to individuals because it's a monolith. It's not a person. And I think, you know, it's a very, very difficult job. And my friend Keith Ellison uh, narrowly uh, missed getting elected. However, he's now the number two at the DNC. So I think what you see is he does get out and do, do a lot of what he's always done, trying to build the party from the grassroots. I think Tom is working with him hand-in-hand, hand, but I think Tom has some other responsibilities, and he is doing a lot of media, but they're working together on trying to make it so that we had the summer of resistance, and now they have, I think, a fall of resistance efforts. They're uh, doing things across the country that I, don't, I haven't seen the DNC do previously. So um, sometimes it's what the media picks up that they're doing, but I, I, you know, I do think they're out trying to look at things uh, in, a, in a better way, and you know, specifically to the better deal. You know, I think that was probably launched maybe a bit prematurely in the sense that there's a bunch of values uh, that are around economics that are part of that, and I think that's what I was so happy to see the Democratic Party recognize that unless we engage people on what they talk about at their kitchen table, uh, you're not going to get them to listen to everything else you have to say. And I think that is in the, the proposal. The problem is people are getting lost on I think, you know, what's the right words to use as if there's some magic words? And I don't think there are magic words. If there were magic words, we would run David Copperfield for president. I think it's the fact that we're talking about those core economic issues that people talk about at their kitchen table. The fact that we're now realizing that didn't happen sufficiently in 2016 is exactly why we had a 200,000 vote drop off among Democrats in Wisconsin. So um, I, I do see a lot of positive signs, and I just want to make sure people know that. I think it has to be fine-tuned a little bit. It may never be a magic word or two, but I think if we understand those core economic concepts, we're moving forward. Vicki in uh, Marion, Michigan. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, hello. Thank you. I'm thinking I'm just trying to plant a seed here maybe. I'm thinking about Puerto Rico. They've said it's going to be six months before they could get power back to everywhere on the island, so... Why aren't we just sending them a shipload of solar panels as an interim? We could get people's water pumps going in a matter of a few weeks, maybe support for the hospitals, and, and relieve some of this human suffering. And it seems to me it would be cheaper than what they're trying to do right now. So I just was throwing that out there and, and, and see what you had to say. Thank you. Sure, Vicki. Well, I mean, I think you know, people are talking generators. They're talking a lot of different things. Um, that we have to, to do to try to help get them up to speed. The problem is it's the overall um, network of power delivery that needs to be upgraded. So, 
you know, maybe in a few denser areas, we can do some things like solar panels. That'd be a great idea. Uh, you know, I have solar panels in my home. Um, but I, I think to solve the bigger problem is going to be a longer-term investment. One other thing, Tom, if I can just mention that I think we're going to have to also watch for is I think you're going to see a lot of people uh, from Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico coming to the mainland uh, because of the conditions there. And As think, refugees, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And you're going to wind up having, I think, every Yahoo in Congress, uh, you know, complaining somehow about that, even though uh, these are American citizens. So be ready for that wave. I think that conversation is going to be happening. That's, yeah, and it'll, and it'll start on Fox News, I guarantee you. Absolutely. Kevin in Irvington, New Jersey. Kevin, you're on the air with Congress in Pocan. Hello. Hey, Kevin. Hello. Yes. I have a, a question about and, um, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, when they have a debate, like when Bernie Sanders and um, um, Cassidy had the, the, the debate, I'm trying to understand why is it that uh, Republicans always refer to the federal government as people who cannot get anything right, who, um, you know, pretty much d does not um, function well. Yet these guys spend millions of dollars trying to get elected to be a part of something that they claim is no good. I've never understood how a person would say, I want to become part of something that's no good, and they don't seem to get in there to correct any problems that um, the federal government would have. Like when they argue about uh, health care, they prefer um, where um, uh, actual uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies and health care companies are more important than the government. I am a... Um, man of color. And I believe that a lot of people uh, feel more confident with even the government, even though we can elect these people, than CEOs of corporations or healthcare companies being in charge of the healthcare system. So I don't understand the argument why Democrats can't say you are part of what you consider to be a non-functioning um, 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 entity. I don't understand how you would spend millions of dollars to become part of something that you consider is no good. Can you respond on that for me? Yeah, Kevin, you know, you, you've hit, I think, the nail on the head on the question of, that I ask all the time about the Tea Party. I mean, Tea Party, as we know, was born out of part racism when Barack Obama was elected, part people who don't believe in government. So then they run for office to run government. It, it would be like me, um, you know, trying to qualify for... Um, you know, uh, a test around, um, you know, better shampoo. I, I'm, I'm a bald person. I'm not probably the right person to be doing that job, but you'd think someone who doesn't believe in government may not be the right person to be running it. And that's why things have been a total failure since 2010. The Tea Party has come in and been given veto power over the Republican agenda. Uh, nothing really has moved forward. And at some point, I think the Republican base that they've been appealing to is going to have enough because they were promised that they were going to reform the system and here they aren't doing anything. They're just sitting collecting their paychecks and having a title. And I think we're starting to see that uh, rise and percolate. But you, you hit it on the head. I don't understand why uh, some of these people run for office. They hate government so much. They don't want government to function. And then they come here, and uh, ultimately they, don't, they, they make sure government doesn't function. And you know maybe that, in the end, is their goal, and they're not really stating it correctly. But it certainly doesn't make any sense from a, a common-sense perspective. Yeah, I think Henry Wallace said it best in the New York Times in uh, June of 1944 when he said they claim to be super patriots, but in fact they are spokesmen for vested interest in monopoly 
Um, their ultimate goal is the merger of their own economic power with governmental power to keep the common man in eternal subjection. And uh, just for, for what it's worth, that was our, our former vice president. Tom in St. Paul, Minnesota, you're on the air with uh, Congressman Pocan. Hey, Congressman Pocan. Um, love you. I think you're the next Bernie. But I have to disagree with you on this messaging. I'm the third yeah. caller today uh, complaining about the Democrats' messaging problem. Bernie tried. Everybody knows Medicare for all. You had a caller that called in and said, we cannot keep using the term single payer. Most Americans, because of Fox News and right-wing hate radio, think that term single payer means socialized medicine. They do not know what it means. And that's why Bernie keeps saying it's just Medicare for all, because people are familiar with that term. They like it. That's why on Fox News, they never use the term Medicare for all. They always say single payer, and then they go into their nonsense about socialism and all that. We have to use Medicare for all and quit saying single payer system. Yeah, yeah, Tom. So first of all, I don't think we really disagree. What I was trying to say was some people are like, well, instead of the better deal, we should have New Deal uh, 2.0. Or so I don't know if that couple words is going to switch the election, but I do think how we talk about things. I mean, Bernie was authentic with people. Um, he was plain spoken. Uh, he honestly felt what he was saying. Therefore, he could say it very uh, strongly and convincingly. And, you know, we are seeing the support for Medicare for All. That's why we're up to 120 sponsors. So I, that one especially, I'm not saying to call it single payer or anything else. Medicare for All, I think, is sufficient um, because that's where we're building the momentum. I'm just saying that we have to have those core values that Bernie ran on that quite honestly surprised a lot of people, how well he did, because he just talked plainly about those values, many of them being economic core values. And that's what people talk about at their kitchen tables. I mean, I came up, I grew up in a lower middle class family in a union town. And, um, you know, for most people, can you afford your rent or mortgage? Can you have health care for your family? Can you send your kids to college if they want to go? And can you take a family vacation? That's what people talk about. And those are the core values we've got to work around, around those economic values. So I actually think we're in, we're in agreement. I just think it was over the, the two words that people seem to have problems with. Welcome back. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls in Midday with Mark here on the Tom Hartman Program. Georgia in Silverdale, Washington. Hey, Georgia, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. I wanted to ask, how did the uh, Jones Act get waived for... Uh, the Hurricane Maria, uh, uh, not Maria, but uh, Harvey and Irma. Uh, what, what, who waived that? Was it uh, Trump or was it the Congress? How, how did those, how does that Jones get, Act get waived? Yeah, Georgia, I believe it was by the president because Congress, uh, I, I don't believe, was involved with that. I can't say that explicitly, but right now the fact that, again, it's, it's ironic, right? It happens for uh, Texas and Florida, but not for Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, which is why we need to resolve it. Yeah. And it's Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands that really need it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Randy in Ottawa, Iowa, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom and Congressman Pocan. Um, I wanted to touch, and, and I don't want mean to be um, rude or offensive, but I want to call it the way I see it to be expedient, and that is that we have so many uh, moocher states that are drawing more in federal benefits than we than they uh, give year after year after year, like Mississippi and Alabama are a couple of them. Now, my point is, this Graham-Cassidy that would take federal money, it would cut the subsidies for these medical programs 
to begin with, then send a reduced amount to states that are running deficits because of tax cuts that they've given to the wealthy, and they're not taking care of their infrastructure, and they're not taking care of their the medical needs of their people. I mean, um, at some point it looks like to me that that is just pure insanity, and, and uh, there's no sense to giving this program and this money over to uh, a state government that can't manage their own money and come up with at least uh, uh, enough money uh, to pay their way. You're right, Randy, and also if you let it go to the states, states are going to pick and choose how they decide to use that money, and that means there's going to be winners and losers, and in many of these states that you just mentioned, uh, you can imagine who the winners are and who the losers are and probably what their um, ethnicity is. Uh, so, you know, this is why it's a terrible idea. You're going to wind up losing coverage for many, many people, and that's what so far every CBO score here sh has shown us. Yeah. Congressman, we just have one minute left. I'm curious your thoughts on what we should be looking for coming coming up in the next week. You know, I think uh, two things. Tax reform, because they just kind of put their proposal out. They're meeting for a half day today. Uh, you're going to have a lot uh, discussed around that, I guarantee. Um, this is a Republican-only meeting, class. right? They're not inviting Democrats to this? No, no, and it's not going to benefit the middle class or those aspiring to be in the middle class. Right. And then secondly, uh, watch for another door being uh, built to try to undermine the Affordable Care Act uh, through reconciliation, possibly as early as next week. As early as next week? I thought they couldn't do it until after January 1st. Is they there... can open a new door and try to make it again. And this is what we're hearing. There may be some ways that they can do that. So By combining it with something else like tax cuts or something? Yes, exactly. That's, that's, that's very interesting. And, and that's, of course, that's through the Senate process. Um, these things, do you think that they would make it through the House? Uh, who knows? I mean, that's the problem, right? So far, they're having a lot of difficulty, period. I still think tax reform is not something they can do by next week. And even if they meet for a half a day, if it's seven years and they can't do health care, I don't think tax reform is any easier. But we got to be vigilant and ready for anything. Yeah. Amen. Congressman Mark Pocan, thanks so much for being with us this Absolutely. week. Absolutely. Thank you, Tom. Great talking with you. Congressman Mark Pocan, you can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Send him a hi and a thank you for being on our program. And his website is pocan.house.gov. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and super pleased to have with me in the studio, Jamie Harrison. He's the DNC associate chair and senior counsel. He's the former chair of the South Carolina Democratic Party. Yes. A member of the Democratic Party leadership. And your principal focus is the DNC's red state strategy. Democrats.org is the website. People can tweet you at, uh, at uh, Harrison Jamie, J-A-I-M-E. Uh, right? Yes, that's it. Okay, great. Uh, Jamie, welcome to the program. It's Thank great, you great so much anyways. for having me. I'm really excited to be on. So we've had, uh, just in the last couple of days, we've had a couple of significant Democratic victories, and they add to a whole long string of Democratic victories. This gets very little publicity in the corporate media, it seems. So tell us what's going on. This is like good news stuff. Yes, and, and this is grassroots stuff. The things that, you know, fundamental uh, politics is in the on the grassroots level. It's in the parties for the state house races, for state Senate races. And if you take a look at uh, some of the last eight races that have taken place, Democrats have won. And we've won in districts that Donald Trump won uh, during the presidential election. And so we are overjoyed at the success. Uh, just last night in Florida, uh, also a victory in New Hampshire, significant wins in red areas. Uh, and we're making a lot of traction. To what do you attribute those victories? 
Well, one, I think great leadership. I think there's so much activity going on on the on a local level. You're starting to see the Democratic Party and then all of the affiliate groups, uh, you know, progressive groups that are out there from the indivisible groups to our revolution, all working together in order to change the leadership on a local level. And it's amazing to see that type of coordination. But change leadership. You're talking about leadership of the from, Democratic from Party. Republicans, uh, oh, changing, from, from Republicans from Republicans in the legislature to Democratic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, on a state by state basis. On a state by state basis. So is that is that in essence the red state strategy? Just you know we're just going to you know because for you had Howard Dean with his 50 state strategy, mm-hmm. and then after Dean left, it became a we're going to only throw our money in where we think it's actually going to work, or at least it seemed that way for a while. Is this kind of a return to well, that? Well, it's a return to the 50-state strategy, but I, I like to say it's 50 states plus the territories all on steroids. In, in, in essence, we are increasing the amount of money that the DNC sends to state parties starting in October. That is going up to $10,000 a month to every state in the country, uh, which is unprecedented. And it will be for a state like Alabama that has a Senate race that, that is coming up, a special election in December— it is going to be godsend to have $10,000 that they can use to hire staff to put boots on the ground to reach out to the community. In addition to that, and this is the steroids part of it, in addition to that, we have created a, a special fund that we are calling a SPIF fund, Innovation, uh, so that it's going to have $10 million in it. And every state in the country will get an opportunity to apply for a grant through that fund in order to do something special that they're thinking about that helps them uh, win elections. And so, again, unprecedented amount of investment in state parties. We're really excited about it. I'm going across the country, particularly to a lot of red states, uh, doing assessments, helping those state parties, uh, SWAT assessments, identify what their strengths, their weaknesses, opportunities, uh, and, and and the challenges that they have going forward. And so, uh, we're really excited about it. We're excited about all of the energy that's happening on the local level because we know that the potential is there. We just need to make sure that all of the X's and O's are, are there for state parties uh, in 2018 to really demonstrate that this is a new Democratic Party, that we're back on the right track, and we're ready to change the leadership. It seems to me that um, uh, you know, $10 million in, the, in your fund, $10,000 per state, um, this is what the Coke network would spend for lunch, you know, I mean, in a fancy resort, I'm, I'm not even joking, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. you know, if they pull together 300 billionaires for a fancy resort, it could easily cost that. Um, uh, so, and, and yet, you know, Democrats have been winning against Coke candidates exactly for, for right. some time, uh, even when we're massively outspent, not always. And, you know, uh, the John Ossoff case, you know, was an, a, a mm-hmm. challenge. Of course, there's other things there. Karen Handel had been purging the voter rolls in that county for for quite years. some time. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, in fact, that's worthy of a conversation, too. But it seems that the historic focus of the DNC, or at least during the Clinton years, the, 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 the historic focus of the DNC was we are a money machine. We're about raising money and distributing mm-hmm. it to the local candidates. What we're learning is, at least from where I'm sitting, how it looks, mm-hmm. is that, you know, money is a useful thing. And, of course, you want to run ads and you have to pay for your infrastructure and stuff like that, which you're talking about doing, you know, getting people on the ground. But really what we need is people. We need people woke. We need people active. We need people out there on the streets. We need people going door to door. We need people talking to their friends on Facebook and Twitter. We need people, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is that the new 
essentially focus of the DNC? The focus, first and foremost, has to be on infrastructure. Because it's great. There's so many people who are active and they, there's so many people who want to be involved. But if you don't have a structure, a conduit in order to, to harness that energy right. so that they can give direction, you can have thousands of people knocking on doors. But if they're knocking on the wrong doors, if they're knocking on Republican doors or, or doing things that are not organized and structured, then it's sort of wasted energy. So the number one thing that we have to do first and foremost, and, and I know people are saying, well, the message and all— even before you get to that point, the me- if the mechanism by which you reach voters, which is state parties mm-hmm. and those local party organizations, if that mechanism is broken, it doesn't matter if you have the best message in the world. It doesn't matter if you have thousands of volunteers, then you won't get the message that you need to the people who need to get the message. You won't get them activated and to the polls. And so our first focus in these few months as we lead into 2018 is let's get our state parties back on track. Let's make sure that they're strong, that they understand what their weaknesses are, what their challenges are, and how they can they have a game plan to fix that. So let's invest the money. Let's invest the resources to get them to that point. Then let's look at the message and make sure that the message fits the state and the culture in which they're in. Uh, and then let's make sure we have great candidates that can uh, amplify that message. And so it, it's a methodical step-by-step process. And you're right, we're going to get outgunned by the Republicans in terms of money. But it's important that people understand that this is a new DNC that is being very methodical about how we build it. And so that in the end of the day, we can replicate what Howard Dean did so successfully in 2006 and what uh, Howard Dean and Barack Obama did in 2008, which is win Congress, win governorships, then take back the White House. There you go. Um, in in um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Back in 2000, I think it was around 2008 when the Republicans decided that they were going to do this massive redistricting thing all across yes. the country, uh, ultimately leading even to a, possibly a constitutional convention to rewrite the Constitution, uh, maybe just for rich people or something. Um, and, and I say that not facetiously, no. actually. Um, they, there was an organization, and I want to say it was the Concord Coalition, but it, it was Concord something. I, I don't think it was Coalition, but, but it was this group that put together a bunch of Concord Project. Thank you, Troy. Um, you can see their video, you, you can watch their videos on YouTube. I played a bunch of them on this program. And basically this guy, these little three, four minute videos that were delivered to hundreds of thousands of Tea Partiers, mm-hmm. right? And this was all under the radar. And I never ever saw a conversation about this on TV. And the guy's looking right into the camera and he says, you know what the most powerful political office in the United States is? It's not the president, it's not the Senate, it's not even the head of the Supreme Court. It's precinct committee person, precinct committee chair. Because if you're a member of the precinct committee, if you're one of the leaders of your local Democratic Party, A, you get to write the platform, and B, you get to help pick out who's going to be the primary candidates. And so if we can have, say, we're going to have five primary candidates in this particular area, and we want all of them to be Tea Partiers, so it doesn't matter which one everybody votes for. It's going to be a Tea Party. It's going to be a Tea so, Party. So, you know, this was a very, very successful campaign that they did. And those videos were, were very, very effective. And, and I'm, I've been trying to replicate that or just, you know, I, and, and, and I can't tell you how many people have called this program over the, I mean, I've been ranting about this since yeah. 2008, yeah. have called this program and said, I have become a precinct committee, committee person as a result of your suggestion. Any suggestions for people who want to show up at their local Democratic Party and get involved? Sometimes 
uh, you know, people call in and say, I was welcome with open arms. Other times they say, you know, it was a bunch of crotchety old guys who thought that, you know, that, that I was, you know, just a young whippersnapper and a, and a pain in the butt. Yeah. Well, listen, there are so many opportunities on a state level and precinct level to get involved in your Democratic Party. And it's important that you do so. And even when you run into a roadblock, continue to push. Because sometimes, you know, it happens in any organization. You get folks who have been controlling things for a number of years and they don't like the newcomers and they don't like to let go of the control. But the bottom line, it's not about us. It's not about our egos. It's not about our personalities. This is about the future of our country. I have a three-year-old son at home. Uh, and each and every day I help him get dressed and go to school and I think about the world that he lives in. And so whenever I, I run up into these people who, well, this is the way we've done it for, for, for years, I say to them, you know what? Yeah, and look at what we have as a result. Yeah. We have a president who is unhinged. Uh, this is unprecedented. And so therefore there's unprecedented actions that we all have to take in order to change this. And that means everybody has to have a part of, of moving us forward, making us a better party, a stronger party, so that we can reach those people who, in the end of the day, feel like neither party is addressing the issues so that they're doing. Show up and become the exactly party. Exactly right. Amen. Jamie Harrison, DNC Associate Chair and Senior Counsel. Hang on just a second. This is the Tom Hartman Program. The site is Democrats.org, and you can tweet him at Harrison Jamie, J-A-I-M-E. Jamie, thank you so much. For thank you so much for having me. Great having you. Thank you. We'll be back. Hey, you've heard me talking about Superbeats, so I'll ask you again. If you could be more heart, heart healthy just by drinking a glass of earthy vegetable juice daily, would you do it? Uh, you know, most people say, I don't know, beets? But what if this performance-enhancing veggie was transformed into a great-tasting circulation superfood drink? It has been. Super Beets. It's loaded with vegetable dietary nitrates that help boost nitric oxide levels in your body, which equals an increase in energy and stamina without stimulants. Dietary nitrates are incredible for helping to support healthy blood pressure, too. I drink Super Beets in the morning for energy, at the gym for extra long workouts, or in the afternoon as a pick-me-up without jittery side effects. Try the original berry or the black cherry flavor. I like them both. If you haven't tried it yet, now is the time. Get a 30-day supply for free. It comes with your first order and is backed by a money-back guarantee. Also receive a free book, Beat the Odds, and free nitric oxide indicator strips to see the difference for yourself. Plus free shipping. Love the results you feel guaranteed or your money back. Call 800-568-9889. That's 800-568-9889. Or go to tomsbeats.com. That's tomsbeats.com. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And in the studio with me is Charles Sauer, libertarian economist and president of the Market Institute, marketinstitute.org. You can tweet him at Charles Sauer, S-A-U-E-R. And Charles, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. So uh, John Thune has what he thinks is a brilliant idea. The uh, Republican from, uh, what is it, North or South Dakota? North Dakota. I always mix up my Dakotas, you know. Anyhow, uh, John Thune wants to change the rules uh, to become a commercial airline pilot. Right now, you have to have, as I recall, um, 100 hours to become a private pilot, uh, 200 hours to get instrument rated. You know, there's all these different, a couple hundred hours for multi-engine rating. Um, but for commercial, it's 1,500 hours. And that's actually time in an airplane. Um, you can do simulator stuff, but that's like, you know, learning other things or whatever. But you got to have 1,500 hours in the airplane. And the airlines are saying, okay, you know, we've been treating our pilots like crap for the last 30 years, you know, ever since uh, Carl Icahn started that whole thing with TWA back in the day when Reagan made it possible to steal people's pensions. 
Uh, we've been te- treating our pilots like crap, and now, you know, we don't even want to train them. You know, it's expensive. You know, it, it costs $3,000 an hour for somebody to fly an empty 757 and learn how to fly. Yep. Instead, we yep. can have them on a simulator that's 100 bucks an hour. And so they're trying to dial back this 1,500-hour rule. And the pilots, of course, who, by the way, it's not convenient to get out there in an area. It's a hell of a lot more convenient to use a simulator. I've, I've used simulators. I am a pilot. In fact, here's my pilot's license. I am actually a pilot, so I have some knowledge of this. Um, (laughs) You know, the pilots are saying, uh, well, in fact, the old expression the pilots use is FAA regulations are written in blood. There was this horrible crash in 2009 in New York City, and it turned out that the pilot, you know, had been using a simulator to simulate the the circumstances that he found himself in. It was, you know, an engine failure takeoff. And uh, just like with Sully Burger, you know, when they did it on on uh, on the simulators, they said, oh, a simulator could have made it back to the airport. Maybe, maybe not. It breaks every rule of flying. You know, if you lose power on takeoff, you land as soon as you can, period. So any, anyhow, I'm, I'm doing a soliloquy here and you're standing. You're sitting here I'm, looking I'm, I'm sitting here listening and that's partially because it's a for as for being a progressive. That's a really regressive way to look at um, policies and technology and, and to think that the only way that we can get training is for a pilot to go up and and sit in a cockpit. I mean, look, part of the the nation's founding was almost stopped because of an apprenticeship like what you're talking about. You're talking about locking pilots into an apprenticeship um, where they have to be forced to sit uh, in the second chair and watch somebody else fly while they're being paid um, under market wages to sit in that chair. So yeah, the union. No, the, a lot of that second chair stuff is is uh, recertification and maintaining certification and things like that. I'm talking about you know you've got to be the pilot in command for 1,500 hours. You've got to be in the left seat. All right. And, so now the now the airlines get to save money because they're not paying a fully licensed pilot to, no, to you, sit you, they're, in they're, that they're, front they're seat. They're flying empty chair, but, empty airplanes. They they fly trainers. I mean the the, the airlines have 737s, 757s, A320s that their pilots fly. To, to learn how to fly, to practice. I I mean, look, technology is increasing here. We're, when you talk to pilots, when you read um, what the FAA is putting out on this, they think that the simulators are good enough. And Thune, in his comments, is like, look, this is the starting point. I'm up to negotiate this, but we're, we're coming up on a pilot shortage. We need pilots. We need to do something about it. And just like the the left shut down without a discussion at Berkeley a free speech week, and like they shut down a hearing uh, this week on healthcare, they're shutting down the discussion over this. This is the United States Senate. It's meant for nonsense. debate. This is nonsense. Well, no, shutting down a free speech week is nonsense. A senator proposing an amendment and eight, expecting eight, $800, debate. $800,000 in security for Milo is nonsense, too. But that's a whole completely separate discussion. And nobody's trying to shut down the discussion. What, what we have here is the airlines on one on the one hand, and by the way, the 1,500 hours is, the vast majority of that time is not paid for or even done by the airlines. Most of these pilots who come in with 1,500 hours so that they qualify for, 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 a, for, a, uh, for a commercial license got their time most, mostly in the military. Yeah. You know? And I mean, you, you, get, you talk about a pilot shortage, you want to do away with the pilot shortage, do two things. Go back to paying pilots good wages, number one. You'll have a whole lot of people who want to be pilots. And number two, um, dial back on, you know, our massive military. Well, it, All of a sudden, you're going to have a whole bunch of pilots looking for work. And look, that's actually, I believe, where Solenberger got his experience from, was from flying in the military. Yeah, and when you're a fighter pilot. When you're 
flying in the military, you're pushing your plane to its extreme over and over and over again. When you're flying in the simulator, you can run simulations over and over and over and over again. I'm not anti-simulator. I'm just well, saying, I so don't So what's wanna, the amount of hours that you want, Tom? If it's not 1,500, 1, is it 750? Is it 300? I mean, come on, this sounds like the people that are crying against, call any immigration bill amnesty. I mean, let's draw a line on there someplace, What, what right? I'm saying, well, okay, it, 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 then if you're in favor of drawing a line, then you're not a libertarian. Uh, I'm, I'm, I would like to privatize would, this so that we, you know. Wouldn't the libertarian position be the airline gets to decide who gonna, who's going to fly the planes, period. The airlines get to come up with their own standards and their own rules, period. And, you know, if you don't like the fact that American Airlines has a plane fall out of the sky every week because they're hiring people fresh out of uh, Donald Trump University pilot school, uh, whereas United Airlines hasn't had a crash in two years because they actually hire pilots who've had 1,500 hours or more, then fly United. I mean, that's the, the libertarian answer. That uh, is the libertarian answer. Why am I not hearing answer. that from you? Well, well, because, look, we are dealing with a world that is closer to yours than it is mine. We're... We already have a, a broken system where we don't have the amount of pilots coming into the system that we need or passing that's, through the system. So I'm dealing I'm dealing in your themselves. world. No, it's broken by people that like large government, like no, I, I, the left. You and know, like I, you. I, I used to have friends who were airline pilots. They were paid, you know, you'd make 150 grand a year as an airline pilot. Now people are making 60, 70 grand a year as an airline pilot. You've got, as Michael Moore pointed out, and and I think, uh, I forget which movie it was, I think it might've been even sicko, but uh, as Michael Moore pointed out, Burger King managers make more than commercial pilots who fly for these commuter airlines that very often have the big airlines' names on them. If you're in one of these little jets, the guy flying your plane is probably making 25,000 bucks a year. And he may be on food stamps. I don't think that's a good thing. Uh, now, now, not only are is Tom Hartman setting the aviation policy for the United States, but now you're setting how much a pilot should be paid. I mean, look, the not, fact is we should let markets do this. You're right. The libertarian answer is to pull regulation out of the market and then let you let the market choose American after a bunch of people die. And this is the problem with another. libertarianism is that you can remedy harms, but you don't anticipate harms. This is, you know, oh, yeah, just let that chemical out that, into the that's world. Actually and then 20 years later, when we figure out that it's, you know, that, that 30,000 people have some weird kind of pancreatic cancer that nobody, this, you know, this, it took 20 years. The studies and the previous history don't show that. When you give people the money and when you allow them to accept the risk, they tend to be more risk averse. If you just look around society, people are more risk adverse or you would have everybody becoming an entrepreneur or everybody investing all of their money in what is that? Stocks. What does that have to do with whether the government should be defining safety standards for airlines? Because you just said that it's going to be this race to the bottom. And the fact is, is it's not going to be a race to the bottom if because you don't the, have the government defining the, airline regulation. I think I think it would be. I mean, there 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 are you know, I've I've flown on Ugandan Airlines, you know, with with the the engine on the on the side that I was on starting to leak hydraulic fluid and this orange pinkish orange stuff running down the side of the airplane while the goats and the chickens literally in the middle of the plane were making all kinds of and you, and you chose um, to fly on that. It's not that you didn't you didn't step on that plane I wasn't and say happy about it. You didn't step I was on the plane into a war zone. I had no choice. But but, you, you know, did, well, when you stepped on the plane, you didn't say, well, you know, the government regulations are going to save me. You used your brain and decided that there was some amount of a reasonable chance that you were going to arrive at your destination. You made that choice and walked onto the plane, unless right. you walked on at gunpoint. No, no, no. But but even 
even Uganda, even in the, in, this is in 1980, uh, Idi Amin had just been deposed. It was the middle of a civil war. Um, even Uganda still had standards. I'm not sure that they were keeping them because like I said, the plane that I was on was, you know, on its way into Entebbe. We were, we lost hydraulic, you know, uh, at least one engine was losing hydraulic fluid. Look, but, knowing but the bribes, want, but I would much rather live in the United States, where I know that the airlines are not only well regulated, but the regulations are enforced, yeah. than in Uganda, where you know, uh, if, if, not to pick on look, one country, but yeah, you know. no, I mean, but let's look at another another place where regulation is supposed to save people and, and bankrupted uh, uh, teachers and other professionals, and that's in the financial industry, where we had Madoff that just ran off with a bunch of people's money. And there's tight regulations there. And he had passed multiple levels of government regulation. It's so not you're making, regulation. You're making a case for stronger regulation. No, regulation is not the cure-all here. Free markets. There's a lot of people that if if the government wasn't regulating Madoff, everybody knew that he was paying so, so too high you, of, so, a, of so, a return. So you're suggesting that before you get on an airplane, you're going to walk up and say, I want to talk to the pilot. I want to ask this pilot, how many hours have you flown? How many hours have you flown IFR? How many have been in the left seat uh, before I put my family on this plane? Is that what you're going to do? You're going to become an informed consumer? You, you, know really? what would, you know what would actually happen, Thomas? First off, more than likely websites would show up with that on, the way that they are with doctors. Uh, what, what are their rankings with people? A lot of those are still uh, not really... Um, uh, true to, to the market. The problem, but one they're, of the things I've out seen there. actually is now, now you've got doctors hiring uh, people to put, to put favorable reviews for their medical yeah, no, that's, I, on the web. I, that's what I, I said. Mean, so a lot this, of those are is, wrong. This is I've, why I've I don't trust them. capitalism because it's, it's an open invitation for corruption. Well, that's, that's why we have paid services for um, people to come do contracts at your home or other things for something, for a product as useful as airline travel. It's why we would have something likely even better for airline travel. Even better than fifteen hundred hours. Uh, is it Angie's list? The 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 one you use? Oh no, fifteen fifteen hundred hours. Look, Angie's I'm, list. I'm not a flight. Solenberger, will you please fly my plane? Yes, you would love Solenberger <laughs> to fly your plane. He was a military pilot. Okay, Charles Sauer, uh, marketinstitute.org uh, is the website. You can tweet him at Charles Sauer S A U E R. Thank you, Charles. Thank you. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest news and information from Wall Street and Main Street, all points in between, plus the best of the rest of the news. And don't forget, democracy begins with you. Get out there, show up, participate, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.